0: You're listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com.
1: Good morning, Pines Church. I am coming to you from the front of our building. Unfortunately, it's from a week ago when I filmed this. I am on the other side of the United States in Colorado, but I will be back next week. But! We have an amazing treat for you today. In the house, we have none other than Pastor Tanya Harold. Who is Pastor Tanya Harold? I'm glad you asked. Actually, I asked. Anyway, um, when we first moved to Maine, we knew no one. We had no relationships with any of you. And we reached out to the only other Ark Church in Maine. And we told them that we were moving to plant a church in Bangor and they had planted a church in Wyndham which is outside of Portland and we said hey if you could swing it we could really use some help moving and so we had actually reached out to a lot of churches no shame but nobody showed up except Pastor Tanya and Pastor Adam Harold. They said, we only got two hours and then we got to take our son to his baseball game. Well, we put them immediately to work because they were the only two human beings that we knew here. And we didn't have any food, we didn't have any water. And they were drenched in sweat as they helped us move the heaviest pieces of furniture that we had. And then they drove off. But here's the thing, they drove two hours to serve for two hours to drive two hours back to go to that ball game. And that really tells you a lot about the character and integrity of this amazing couple. I've listened to Pastor Tanya preach. I know that she has a fire word in for you. So I encourage you to lean in and to draw this message out. So you please stand to your feet and help give a warm Pines greeting. And I'm talking about rowdy and loud. To none other than Pastor Tanya Harold.
0: Woo! Yeah! Thank you guys so much. Good morning, Pines Church. Thank you, Pastor Matt. He's not here. I'm sure, like every good pastor, like I'm gonna do for our church back at home. I'm definitely gonna watch all the recaps of today. So, Pastor Matt, thank you so much for the introduction. Jess, we love you guys so much. Um, As proof of that. the move, the move, like the move-in day. My husband um, didn't really sell it to me, a hundred percent of what was gonna happen. He was just like, "Hey, we've got some friends that are moving to Maine, and so a bunch of us are gonna go and help them move in." I was like, "Awesome, okay." So we we drive up here and uh, we jump out of the car. I was like, "Huh? Nobody else is here. That's that's okay." So we just get going. I'm like, "Okay, like we're probably just like a little bit early, right?" nobody came, nobody showed up. There's actually a really great uh, communicator that says nobody's gonna come, nobody's showing up. And so, in in her mind, she's telling you, you know, you've gotta do it. Don't wait for somebody to come. Right now, as a mom, I have a a 12 and a 14, I'm sorry, I have a 14 and a 16 year old. They just aged a minute here. Um, So I have to tell them when to do stuff. I have to say, hey, it's time to put these dishes into the sink. It's time to go clean your room. But eventually you grow up, right? And nobody's coming. Nobody's coming to tell you to do those things. And so nobody's coming to help you put your dishes in the sink. And so that's what happened with our experience with moving the Joy is in is that nobody else was coming. But for us, having them just on main soil was such a breath of fresh air. We had moved from Southern Illinois to Maine. I'm a Boston girl, so just being back in New England was cool with me. I actually didn't want to go back to Boston. I have zero desire to go back to Boston. Hate traffic, hate the competition, hate the grind, the hamster wheel of Boston. So for us, just going back to New England was home. And so we were so excited to be here, to be boots on the ground, and then realized that there were no other Arc Church plants. There are other churches in the area, but they had been toiling for years and years. I mean, we're talking 100-year-old churches, and so they were just tired. And so to come and to to bring some new life, new ideas, new energy into the area, we were psyched. And then to look around and say, there was was nobody else here. There's nobody that kind of has that art culture, that has that same vision as us. And then when we found out about the Joys in the Pines Church, we were just so, so excited, willing to do whatever it was to get them here, to keep them encouraged. And now you guys are here as the Pines Church, and now it's your job. And I can say this as a pastor coming to another church, I can say things to you that I wish somebody would come and say to my church. (laughs) Pastor Matt didn't ask me to say this. Jess didn't ask me to say this. I get to say this because I experience this every day. Love their children. Encourage their children. Their children sacrificed to move here, and nobody asked them if they wanted to. Love your pastor. Love your pastor's wife. Nobody is coming to do it but you. God sent you here to do this labor alongside them. And so part of your job as the church is yes to go and gather people, but also to encourage your pastors, love your pastors. The best way to love your pastor is to serve alongside them. Get your hands dirty, roll up your sleeves and serve alongside them. Today, we're gonna be talking about relationships, specifically the placement of relationships. And so in my preparation to come here, I did a little recon mission and just kind of like caught up on the last few messages that you guys have had. Um, And truth be told, I was driving and um, letting the audio of the message play. And so your bumper video came on and it was like, it was the F word was your series. And so I'm driving and your bumper video is like, I beep you. And I was like, what? And then like, I'm like still being a safe driver. And I'm like looking at the phone and it's like the next person is like, I beep you. And I was like, what is happening? Like we, we live two hours, but we're not that disconnected. Like, do I need to go up there and like intervene? But you guys were actually learning about forgiveness. I beep, I forgive you. And so that is such an important F word. And so what's really great is this message that I have for you guys today was something that God had already deposited in my heart of actually, this is a leftover, guys. I'm not gonna lie. This is one that I had already communicated to our church family back in February. And so this is a message that it kept coming up for me even after I spoke it. I I just recently had this conversation again with somebody. And so when I was given the invitation to come here and speak to you guys, I was like, okay, I know what message it is. It's placement of relationships because this is a theme that keeps coming up for us. And so... What's great about this is that it really does piggyback onto your F Word series. So you guys have worked on relationships as far as forgiveness, asking forgiveness, giving forgiveness, why you do that, how you do that. And now I'm going to take that one step further and show you what to do with that relationship next, because it's true that we all have different relationships in our life. Am I lying? Do we all have different relationships in our life, right? So we have our coworker relationships, we have our friend relationships, we have our our relative relationships. And and they're all different places in our life. People have different value in our lives. They add different value to your life, right? And so when I was preparing Back in February for this message, I was like, okay, I'm going to, if you've kind of been around church for a minute, you kind of know the formula, right? The the pastor gets up and kind of gives a a little um, story from their life maybe and how that will connect with the message. And so I was like, okay, give me, give me a story. What, what's a a relational, um, a relationship that's gone south? What's a story that I can share? Honestly, what's a story that I can share knowing that that person might be listening to a podcast, watching a video, and how am I going to navigate this? And it's actually not for lack of examples that I'm not sharing a story today. I actually had a lot of examples of that, but I'm not sharing them because there was one common denominator in all of those relationships gone south. Do you know what that was? It was me. Yeah. Hey, you guys were really fast to answer that. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Yeah, it was me. I was the common denominator. And so what had happened is that I hadn't yet learned this. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about the placement of relationships to save you from some of the emotional heartache that I went through that I hadn't learned this. Because there are no bad people. There are no bad people in your life. There's bad placements. There are people that God has brought into your life either for a reason or a season, and maybe you have them in the wrong place. That's not the person's fault. That's your fault. And so I want to teach you how to kind of navigate how we place people and place our relationships because we have to be good stewards of our relationships. We talk a lot in church about stewardship, whether we're talking about um, the ways that we give of our finances, the ways that we give of our talents, the ways that we give of our time. We talk about stewardship. And stewardship really is this concept of this thing that you hold in your hand, whether it's my time or my talent, my money, my relationships. And when I steward it, well, I hold it carefully. It's really hard to hold a glass of water like this, right? I have to hold it with open hands. I have to hold it carefully. When I'm holding something with open hands, more can come in, but more may also go out. If I'm holding my money with a closed fist, God can't give me more because I'm holding it tight fisted. I also am not going to lose any. Good for me, right? But I'm, that's no return on my investment because I'm holding it tight-fisted. And so I want you to be open-handed with your relationships today. We're gonna learn to be good stewards of our relationships because if we don't become good stewards of our relationships, then the people that matter the most to us will get the least of us. So we're doing this, we're learning this discernment and placement of relationships to protect the innermost circle relationships that we have today. Experience is the most effective teacher, but it's also the most costly teacher because it costs you your time. One of those things that I talked about stewardship with is your time. That's one of the things that I personally, I'm most possessive of. I can't work to gain any more time. Everybody has the same amount of time. And when you waste my time, I get the most frustrated. I will give you my home. I will give you my clothes off my back. I was gonna say food, but that's probably not true. My food. (laughs) But I will give you a lot of things. But it, when, when it comes to my time, I'm really careful with my time because I can't gain any more. And time given to somebody is time taken away from somebody else. And so we need to be really careful on how we place people and place our relationships. So that way we're stewarding those things well, but also we're protecting those people. And so I want you to learn from my mistakes of bad placements to save you the time that I lost. And so I'm going to open up this message with the big idea for today. Every time we speak, we give a big idea. And so the big idea is if you go home and you have got nothing else stuck in your head except for the fact that I'm not going to share food and it was really hot when we helped the joyous move in, I want you to remember the big idea today. The big idea today is that even though we value people equally, people do not add value equally. And I know that that might not sound very churchy, right? You're like, wow, that's... Kind of judgmental. So they're judgmental down in Portland. That's how you guys do it. You don't share food and you judge people. But it's not judgment, it's discernment. And so we are going to unpack this a little bit about how we know that we are going to value people people equally, even though they don't add value equally. This is what we're going to do. We are going to love biblically. Everybody is created in the image of God. We are all children of God. And so we are going to love people biblically. We're going to value them equally. It doesn't matter your gender, your age, your race, your socioeconomic standard. We are going to value you equally, but we're going to treat you differently. And so in treatment of people differently, what that is, is that is the placement of these relationships. So when I'm talking about placements of relationships, I'm talking about if you picture concentric circles, you know, concentric circles like a bullseye, right? And so when we get to the smallest, most inner circle That is the relationships that I'm going to be talking about today, your inner circle relationships. We're going to be talking about friends. English kind of fails a lot of times, especially like the more I get on social media and the more I see the English language kind of like just demolish in front of me, I'm like, English is terrible. So a lot of times when you're studying scripture, it's really important to know the context and the language and really dive into the scripture because it's really easy to misinterpret scripture when we look through it with our American eyes, with our U.S. standards, and with our English language. And so we're going to look at Proverbs 18, verse 24, and it says, A person of too many friends comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Here's an example of where English language fails. Friends and friends. We're talking about two different friends, but the English language just uses the word friend. And so I can talk about my friend from work. might be somebody that I share a DoorDash with, and I say hi in the hall, but I don't know their middle name, and I for sure wouldn't ask them to watch my dog for the weekend. That's a friend. But then also a friend is somebody that I've had in my life for years. They know some of my deepest hurts. They can look at me and just know what I'm feeling despite what I say. That is also a friend. But when we're actually talking Hebrew language, they use two different words here. And so the first part of this scripture, a person of too many friends comes to ruin. In Hebrew, that word is used, translated, to just mean just another person, like a neighbor, an associate, a companion, just like this human ball of goo, just somebody that you know in your life. They don't really add a lot of value to your life. Um, but that, that's what the Hebrew means when it says friend the first time. We actually see this used in Job. Do We all know the story of Job. This guy lost everything, his health, his wealth, his family, everything. And so his, his friends travel to see him. They sit with him in the ground, and they don't say anything. That's great. They do a great job when they're silent. But then they start to give advice. And their advice to Job is like, hey, you brought this on yourself. You should probably repent so the bad stuff will stop happening. And all they did, they, they actually had this like back and forth. And so the later parts of Job, he's actually arguing with these friends. And so that's not a friend at all, right? That's, that's not somebody that, that you would call a friend. But in the Hebrew language, that friend of too many friends soon comes to ruin. Those are the type of friends that they're talking. But then the second part of that verse, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, The second time that that's used, that Hebrew word is translated to mean to have affection for. It's a loved person, a beloved person, somebody that's loving. That's two totally different people. Can we all agree on that? Even though we say in English, a person of too many friends comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We mean there's a human ball of goo, and if you have too many, you'll soon come to ruin. But that beloved person will stick closer than a brother. And so that's what we're talking about, the beloved person today. Those are your inner circle people. And so what I'm going to do today is just teach you about the inner circle people. Because if we learn what the inner circle people should look like, then it's easy to figure out the rest. I was actually looking up U.S. currency and um, the ways that they tell a counterfeit. Have you guys ever heard this before? The way that they train people to recognize a counterfeit isn't to to teach you a hundred different ways that this bill could be counterfeit. It's to teach you what the true bill looks like, the marks of a U.S. currency, a U.S. note. And so if you know what the real thing looks like, if you study that so closely, it's easy to tell the counterfeit. So they'll always come up with new ways to counterfeit currency. But if you know the true note and the true attributes of that note, it's easy to detect the counterfeit. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the real thing. And that way, you guys will know from here, walking out on what to see when you see that counterfeit, when you see that person that maybe needs to move from this inner circle out. A circle or maybe out a little bit further. We're going to talk about those placements because it's so important to protect the people that you already have in your inner circle. Because we're talking concentric circles, we're actually talking about circles that get smaller. You're at the center. These are all your relationships. But that smallest innermost circle can't fit a lot. And that's intentional. You've got a lot of people in your everyday life. Those are your people in your outer circles. But the innermost people is where we're gonna dive more into here. We actually see this modeled by Jesus. Jesus actually had a ton of disciples. We talk about 12 disciples, but when he fed the multitude, they didn't have to go like pass out flyers, say, hey, like there's a new teacher in the area. It's a church plant. You're probably going to have to help set up and tear down, but you should probably come and listen to him, right? Like these people were already following him. So he had a ton of followers. And then we actually see in Luke 10, it talks about 72 disciples, other disciples. And so he's got the multitude. He's got the ton of followers. And then he's got the 72 followers. And then he's got the 12 disciples, as we know it. And of those 12 disciples, he actually has three in his innermost circle, Peter, James, and John. Those guys were with him at some of his highest highs. They were with him up at the transfiguration. When he radiated glory and was present with Moses and Elijah, he had Peter, James, and John with him none of the other disciples were invited up onto that mountaintop experience. They were also with him praying When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was betrayed, he invited them to come and pray with him for a while. The inner circle were also with him at some of his lowest of lows. Because that's what your inner circle does. Your inner circle can handle you at your highest and at your lowest. They're still with you through it all. It killed Peter to know that he had denied Jesus shortly after that betrayal because he knew he was an inner circle guy. But one thing that I find real interesting in scripture is that Jesus never justified why they were his inner circle. I know sometimes in my life, I feel like I need to justify to people like this person, this person, we've been through a lot together and we've just known each other for a really long time. And so that person kind of gets a little more access to me. Jesus never had to justify why people were in his inner circle. You don't have to justify your inner circle. Your inner circle are just the people that are with you from your transfiguration to your Garden of Gethsemane. They're with you through all your seasons of your life. And so what do your inner circle people get? Number one, your inner circle people get different access. They get different access to you. They get to do some of the most fun stuff with you. They get to vacation with you. They get to go... When you're just like, all right, I'm just done with life. Like, let's just get in the car and go. Does anybody else feel like that? Are there any moms in this room? You can be honest. If your children are in the other room, you can raise your hand. Sometimes you just want to get in the car and go, right? Do you have that friend that you call up and you're like, I have no idea what we're going to do, but we're just going to drive. <laughs> Hopefully we stay in the state, but I'll call my husband if we don't. Right? Those are, the, those are the inner circle people. And I'm not talking about 12 of your besties. I'm talking about one Two people that are just your tribe. They're your inner circle people. They get different access to you. But you also share things with them that you wouldn't share to anybody else. You're vulnerable with your inner circle people. That's some of that different access. The word vulnerable is actually the, the Latin word means wound and able. Your inner circle, you're vulnerable with them knowing that they have the ability to wound you. But you trust them because you're your inner circle. They get that different access to you. But most important on that is that they have a different expectation. If I'm giving somebody the ability to wound me with the information that they have about me, with my hurts, with my trials, with my insecurities, they're going to have a different expectation. Expectation number one there is reciprocation. If I'm always giving on a one-sided relationship, if I'm always talking about here's all the things that are, are stressing me out or here's my deepest fear or concern and here's where I'm insecure and they're like, okay, that was great chat. I'll talk to you next week. That's a counselor. That's not a friend. You'll get a bill at the end of that conversation. But if you have this reciprocation with them and they're like, yeah, you know what? I actually went through that and here's what helped me through that. What scripture are you standing on in this season? Let's dig in together and let's find a scripture for you that we're just going to pray over. There's reciprocation there in that relationship. In that inner circle, people, you have that expectation with them. You also get to follow up on radio silence. When you don't hear from your inner circle people, you get to call them and be like, dude, where are you? Like, I haven't talked to you in 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if guys do that, but girls certainly do. But you're like, I, I haven't, I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. What's going on? Like, are you all right? Like, you know, talk to me what's going on. And so, you know, if you called your dentist and you're like, Hey, you know, you haven't sent me a postcard in a year. Like <laughs> I thought we had a thing going. That would be weird, right? That's a, that's a poor placement. Your dentist doesn't want to be in your inner circle. He just wants to be in your mouth. And so we have to be real careful about who we bring into this inner circle because they're going to have this expectation. We're going to give them the expectation of reciprocation because it's a two-way street. They also get a different investment. They get an investment from me of my time, the thing that I am most protective of. They get an investment of me of my skills. I'll even share my food with my inner circle people because they're probably ordering the same thing because you get that kind of like brainwave thing with your inner circle people. They also help shoulder the burden. They shoulder some of that weight, but they can't shoulder the weight if you don't share your burden with them. And so when I, when I talk about burdens a lot, I go like this all the time. And so my husband and I were huge proponents of counseling. And it's not like counseling, like, oh my gosh, are you guys okay? This is why we're okay, is because we go to counseling. We have a therapist, we have somebody that we talk to. Because it's okay to go to a doctor for maintenance, for health, and it's okay to go to the dentist to make sure, do checkups and make sure you're good. But when we talk about going to counseling, we're always like, ooh, there's something, uh, something is happening there. Counseling is just a way for somebody to check in with you emotionally and mentally to make sure that you're good. So we're huge proponents of counseling. And so in some of our counseling sessions, in kind of diving into um, some of the struggles that we've had and just history and talking about life, um, I always go like this. And my counselor, uh, he's on Zoom, which is awesome because I'm never gonna run into him. Um, <laughs> he, he was like, why do you always do this? And I said, because I feel it here. I feel physical weight. I, I thought that was an everybody thing. I'm maybe that's not an every, everybody thing, but I, I actually feel like sometimes it's hard to take a deep breath when there's a lot of emotional weight, when there's a lot of stress, when there's a lot of baggage. Even when when my inner circle people are going through a lot, I feel the physical weight here. And so with your inner circle people... I'm going to invest with them to help shoulder the weight, but I can only do that for an inner circle because the physical weight that I feel, the emotional weight that you feel will physically crush you if you try to do it for everybody. We all know those people that just like want to be the it person for everybody and you got to know everybody's stuff and you're going to be there for everybody and you're going to show up with a casserole and you're going to pray them through everything. And that's great, but you can't physically do that. You can't withstand that. There's no long game there when you do that. You need to do for your inner circle what you wish you could do for everybody else. And so it's not for lack of love that we treat people differently, but if everybody has their inner circle people that they're investing in differently, they're getting the expectations, they're giving the reciprocation, they're giving the different investment and access to everybody will be taken care of. And so we are going to invest in our inner circle people like we wish we could do for everybody else. And so there's a couple things that inner circle people do. So I talked about what inner circle people get, and now I'm going to talk about what inner circle people do. And they bear our burdens. I kind of touched on that when I talked about this emotional weight, this physical heaviness that I feel in my chest. And so... I have had seasons of life with inner circle people. Just a couple years ago, one of my inner circle people um, had called me and said, hey, you know, my father-in-law was just diagnosed with cancer. It's not looking so good. Can you pray for us? Sure, for sure. Two months later, I got a text from her that said, I need you now. And I knew where they were. We had been following this whole journey. So diagnosis to deathbed was two months. And so we go into the ICU and they're like family only. And we're like, clergy, they let us in. Um, So we go into the ICU, and we're there at the bedside as her father-in-law took his last breath. And then a couple months later, two or three months later, she calls me again and says, "Um, I just need you to know that I'm okay, but I just got a call that my dad is dead. So within three months' span, she found out that her father-in-law had cancer, he died, and also her father was found dead down in Virginia. And so they walked through a really difficult season, a ton of grief, a ton of loss, a ton of heartache. And we started walking through that with them. We really encouraged them to get into counseling. We really leaned into God, the word of God, to scriptures, to worship together and and to bring some healing and closure there. And And it was not too long after that that I couldn't even physically make my call. My husband had to make my call for me. This past November, I was woken up in the middle of the night with a phone call that said, hey, your brother was crossing the street, and he got hit by a truck going 45 miles an hour. He's being life to a trauma center. We can't get a hold of your parents. So my parents lived six minutes from me. So I jumped in the car and I drove to my parents' house and I walked in as loud as I could because I didn't know what pajamas my parents wore. I'm like banging on doors, hitting the garage door, calling for them. Nobody's waking up. So I go into their room and I'm like, you guys have got to charge your phone in your room. They're of the generation that the phone always stays out in the living room, I guess. And so they had missed the call the calls about my brother. And so I went in and I said, hey, he's OK. He's alive. But Ray got hit by a car. Um, I need you to get up. We, we got we to gotta do stuff now. And so we're in Maine. He's down in Texas. And so my mom throws her debit card at me and says, book a flight. And she started packing a bag. I put my parents in an airplane, and they flew to Texas. Two days later, I drove down to Texas to be with them, to be with my brother as he laid in the, in the ICU. But it was in that sharing that burden with my inner circle friend. I'm a nurse. She's also a nurse. And the next day, I was just so shell-shocked. I got home around 4 o'clock in the morning, and um, I, I I hadn't really processed what had happened. You know, you just kind of go into autopilot. And so I was just, just kind of numb walking through the day, and my husband's like, what can I do? Like, give me something to do. Can I call somebody? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Like, I I I don't know if he's going to make it. And so he called my inner circle person, and she just walks into the house. And as soon as she walked in, I just wept. And I was able to finally release all of those feelings that had been swirling in my mind. And she was like, okay, so um, we have to call the ICU, and we're going to get report. And I'm going to pretend that I'm you because that's how we roll. And so I couldn't even, like, in my brain, I couldn't even process, like, all the medical information that I needed to, to ask the questions. And so she called the ICU, and she's like, yes, um, I'm Reggie Lowe's sister. My name is Tanya, and I'm calling to get report from the nurse. I'm a nurse as well. Um, and so just give it to me straight. And so she said, well... Um, he had coded this morning. Um, I had walked in his room. His his heart rate was 140, and then 50, and then 30, and so we went and got the crash cart and we called a code, and uh, he was down for about 10 minutes. But we got him back, and so here's the meds that we're running, and here's the scans that we're doing, and here's all the stuff. And so she's writing this all down, and I had actually just recently found this piece of paper, and I was like, oh, I don't even remember that conversation because I was just a shell and she was there for me she was she was shouldering that burden for me because that's what those inner circle people do and now i can update you that my brother's now living in maine with my parents and i've actually had these conversations with my inner circle people that said you know i feel like in november i lost my entire family which sounds dramatic but you know your your fact or feeling it doesn't matter the feeling it's the same as a fact when you start to live that out. It hurts you just the same. And so I said, I, f- I felt like I, st- I lost my entire family in November. She's like, okay, so unpack that for me. What does that mean? Well, you know, my brother died, essentially, and um, he's now this person that I don't even really know. And we're we're working through traumatic brain injury and we're working through um, a paralyzed side and we're working through a destroyed kidney and we're working through all this physical stuff. But I also feel like I've lost my parents because they're now full-time caretakers. And so my entire world changed in just a matter of minutes, in the matter of one phone call. And so she was there for me in those moments where I, I didn't know up from down And my husband, of course, is that inner circle person. That's your ride or die. But you still need those people in your life that you can say, I know this is crazy and I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. I need my inner circle people to just bear my burdens with me. They help you metabolize your emotions. We talk a lot in our counseling about metabolizing emotions. And so if you guys know me, you would know that I'm an emotionally inept person. I call it emotional constipation. And so all of the emotions that I feel, I like to keep them really neat and packaged up and bottled inside me. And so through a lot of work with counseling, we've been able to talk about you actually need to metabolize your emotions because you think it's bottled up neatly but so is your meatloaf in the Tupperware. It might be packaged up neatly, but it's not going to last, right? It's actually going to get real nasty real fast and it'll spill over into other things. And so you need to metabolize. You need to use it up. So you need to talk it out, but you need to talk it out in a safe space because there is nothing worse than going through a personal crisis than to go through a personal crisis in public. When you share that sacred, vulnerable information to the wrong person, and they tell just one person, and that person tells just one person, then you're going through your emotional baggage in public, right? Have you ever had that moment where someone was like, hey, I just have a prayer request. I just have to tell you what this person said about this person. That's not the inner circle people that we need. And so they bear our burdens. The second thing that our inner circle people do is they support our success. We actually see this happen in John 21. So Jesus is dead and the disciples go back to what they know to do. And so Peter, a fisherman, one of the inner circle guys says, hey, I'm going to go fishing. Does anybody want to go? Some of the other guys are like, yep, let's go do it. And so they're sitting in the boat. They're out all night. They catch nothing. And so it might be maybe that they were rusty because they had been following Jesus for three years. They had been in ministry for three years. They hadn't been fishing for fish. They'd been fishing for men. Or maybe it was just that the fish won that round. Sometimes that just kind of happens, right? And so they're out in the boat, and they get advice from the shore. In uh, 21 verse 6, says, Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. And so they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. So they have this emotional weight present. Judas was one of them. He had betrayed Jesus He dies by suicide, and I feel like a lot of times we just glaze over that, right? That was one of them that they were with for three years, betrays another friend. But then there's also suicide layered on top of that. And so there's that loss there. And then there's also the loss of just witnessing the crucifixion, the beating of Jesus. And then they're like trying to sort through, this is after the resurrection. He had already appeared once, and they're just trying to figure out what's happening. And so there's a lot of emotional weight there. And so those people are together in the boat bearing one another burdens. And they get this advice from this guy on shore that they don't even realize who it is at first until somebody says to Peter, that's Jesus. And so one thing that we miss in context is that they're all teenagers. And I have a teenager. I have a 14-year-old son and they're just awkward. They're just weird. It's what they are. And so picture 14-year-old Peter, diving into the water, swimming to the shore and just giving Jesus the sloppiest wet tackle hug you could imagine because he realized that it was Jesus. But what's happening to that catch, to the fish that they were told to cast their net on the other side. We see in 21.8, it says the others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net into the shore for they were only about 100 yards off to shore. Peter had already bailed. He had already gone to see Jesus, but the friends, the inner circle friends are still there and they're pulling in the net because what would happen otherwise is that either their nets would break or their boat would sink because success without the proper support will sink you. And so for Peter, he had these inner circle people with him that are there helping to support his success while he's there with Jesus, leaning into the arms of Jesus. And that is what your inner circle people do. And so in twenty-one twelve, we see now come and have some breakfast. Jesus said, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. And then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. What happened after the friends supported the success is that they reaped the overflow. That your friends, when they support your success, when you allow your inner circle people to step into your success, they actually get blessed for that. You're not protecting them by not letting them into your inner circle. You're robbing them of a blessing of the overflow of your success. So if you have something today that you're just kind of like, I feel like I'm protecting people by not sharing my burdens. You're also not allowing them to support you in your success. You are robbing your inner circle friends, the people that you love the most, of the opportunity to support you and also receive the overflow of the blessings. If you don't go there, you can't grow there. And so we want to go there today. I want you to know that you've got people that have been brought into your life that maybe they're in that inner circle and you've been robbing them of the blessing of bearing your burdens to them, of sharing your success with them. Or maybe there are some people that are in your inner circle that have got to move. Maybe they're not reciprocating. Maybe they're not giving you that um, investment back, that access back. You have got to stop giving to one-sided relationships, not for your own protection, but for the protection of the other people in your inner circle. There's also a relationship that I know that everybody here in this room has a relationship with God. It doesn't matter where you're at in the relationship. The fact that you're here tells me that God is in one of those circles. He may not be in that center circle. He may be on the furthest out circle, but that is not by his doing. That is by your doing. I will tell you this, that God never moves, but God is a gentleman. And so when you ask him to move out, he will move out when you push him out, but he will never willingly step out of your inner circle. And so the fact that you're here, whether it's for you or for somebody else, tells me that there's God in a circle. And we all have the opportunity daily to decide what circle we're going to put God in. Are we going to put him into that inner circle? Are we going to make him the center of our relationships? Because everything else is affected by that inner circle. Or are we going to leave him on the outside? Are we going to say, I I can't be vulnerable with you. I, I don't want to be wounded again. Maybe you were wounded by somebody that represented God. Let me be the first to say that I am so sorry for that. That is not God at all. Maybe you've been wounded by the thought that God was gonna show up for you in a way that you didn't expect to happen. You thought he was gonna come through this way, but he actually came through in this way. When I was sitting by my brother's bedside, I had to come to the point that God, if you heal him on earth or you heal him in heaven, I know that you're still good that you still have my best at heart. You have to come to that understanding that God's plans for you are good. They're to prosper you, not to harm you. They're to give you a hope and a future. And so if you are here and and you know that your relationship with God isn't what it once was or hasn't ever been one where he was at the center, I just wanna give you the opportunity to right now, just make it right with him. I'm going to have everybody just bow your heads and close your eyes and just kind of have your own moment with God today. It's just you and him in this room and you have the opportunity to tell him what it is that you think that you've got to keep packaged neatly inside. He's big enough that he can handle it. If you've been hurt by somebody claiming to represent him if you've been hurt by an unmet expectation from him, you can tell him, he can take it. And maybe it's it's that you've moved him to the center, but you're actually not reciprocating with him. Maybe you grew up in church like I did, but church just became a rhythm for you. You turn it on on Sunday morning. You turn it off when you walk out the door. You're a nice person. You do good things for other people but there's not really a back and forth with you and the Lord. Whatever your next step is for God in your life, in moving him towards the center, this is your moment for that. I'm going to pray for us to see us out, but I just want you guys to know that you have the opportunity, you have a prayer team here that's happy to meet with you, that's happy to walk you through moving God one step closer to the center. If that's you, go ahead and hang with our prayer team after the service. God, we love you. We thank you so much for today. We thank you for the Pines Church and for the work that they're doing here up in this area, Lord. Just for the soil that's being prepared, the hearts that are being prepared, that haven't yet come into this to this space yet, Lord. We just ask blessings for those people. We ask for a drawing um, that you would draw them near to you, that you would draw them to the cinema, that you would draw them to interactions with the people of the Pines Church this week, Lord. And God, I ask for the people that are here in this room that that aren't sure where they're at with you, Lord, that aren't sure if they have you in that center circle, that inner circle today, God. I just pray that you would just meet them here in this moment, that they would just lean into you, Lord, that they would just run to you on the shore and they would just meet you with a sloppy, wet tackle hug like Peter did on the shore. If that's you, I just want you to say this prayer after me. It's not the words that I say and it's not saying it out loud. It's just believing in your heart that you want to move Jesus, God, into the center of your relationship. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for the movement that I've placed you in the outer circle of my life. Thank you for sending your son to die for me, to pay for my sins that I couldn't pay for for myself. I would never ask him to die for me. But since he did, I would be crazy not to accept that free gift. And so today I accept that free gift. I move you into the center of my life, into the center of my relationships. I want to have a relationship with you today. And if maybe you've already said that prayer at some point in your life, but you just don't know where you went wrong. Maybe you kind of moved God out. This prayer is for you, Lord. I want you back into the center. I've been trying to do it my own way and I just keep falling short of the center. I ask you to come back in to the center of my relationships, to the center of my life, help my world to revolve around you. Bring people into my life to be in my inner circle. Bring one person into my life this week to speak encouragement, to speak life, and to speak healing into my heart. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. I've loved speaking to you guys. You guys are such a fun church. I love a church that smells like popcorn. So I'm going to grab some on the way out. You guys have the best week of your life. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com.